I want to share a word with you this morning. As it, uh, you know, here it is on, on Father's Day and uh, in Juneteenth because uh, it has to do with identity. And I think those two things really connect well. Um, uh, several of our, uh, of our prayer team went up uh, uh, probably a year or two ago with uh, Mark Geppert and walked the slave trail up in Richmond. And one of the things they discovered in coming back was that slaves lost about eight generations of identity uh, when, when they came to the United States. And the, the understanding of what happens in a human being when we lose our identity, when we don't know our father, when we don't know where we came from, we lose a sense of our story. You know, all of us have things in life that we hail back to and we say, well, that's, that's where I grew up. That's the street I grew up on. Those were the people I hung out with. Those were the, and, and those, those are always mixed bag, right? It's good and it's bad. I got good memories. I've got bad memories, but they are still part of my story. And, and yet when people are displaced from their story, something is missing. And so Juneteenth came about to remind us you know, to remind an entire people group, this is your story. You are now free. You are now free. And, uh, and you can walk that out. And so I, I want to talk to you from the place of, and this is the title of the, the message today, and I'm, I, I extracted this title from a, a, a demon project, that a, 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 not a demon, a, a, a doctorate of ministry project. Uh, that a good friend of mine, Lanny Clark, who pastors up in California, Maryland, and uh, he wrote a book on, uh, it, it is a book, but it's actually a, an academic paper uh, by the same name. It's called Broken Fathers, Mended Sons. And, uh, and Lanny has done a, a fantastic work of just digging deeply into what fatherlessness does and, and why the gospel is the very answer for every need in, in humanity. So we're going to get to the scripture but I just want to give you the backstory on the title. Um, Malachi chapter 4. Once you read uh, verses 5 and 6 with me out loud, out loud, they should be on the screen. They should be in your notes right there. There's also, I'm using the version app, so if you have version on your, uh, on your phone, you can open it up. Open up to version. click the little more tab down at the bottom and look for events and you'll find Lighthouse VA right there at the top of the list um, because that's where you're sitting and then it's kind of built around location. So, so just click on that and you'll see the same notes I have. But let's read this out loud together. See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. Out loud, I need to hear you. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. These are the last words to come out of the Old Testament. These are the last words out of the Old Covenant uh, that, that happened before the, 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 the span of time, what we would call the silent years before the New Testament opens up. And then I'm going to read to you from Mark chapter 1. Pastor Daniel uh, read the, the very last verse that I'm going to get to today, but uh, hearing it twice is good. The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah. Everybody say good news. Anybody need some good news today? My, my Graham used to say all the time, the old news is the good news. Don't be picking up that newspaper. It ain't got no good news. 
The old news. She's talking about the gospel. The old news is the good news. And that uh, Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. Now, uh, when we look into this text, we find two pieces of the puzzle coming together. The first one is the Old Testament where it's finishing up and, and there's an announcement of the Elijah who is to come. The second one is found in the book of Mark here and, and we pick up this, here's this prophecy about Elijah who is to come. And uh, the New Testament Elijah that Jesus talks about is the person of John the Baptist. John the Baptist looks kind of the part of that Old Testament prophet, doesn't he? We have a description of it. You know, he's, his clothes are camel hair. He's, he's got a leather belt. He eats locusts and wild honey. I guess that was, I guess that was like organic back in the day. I don't know. I don't know. I, you know, but, but this guy's like looking, he's, he's looking pretty gnarly. You know, John the Baptist is not, he's going to stand out in the crowd. If you walk in this room and you're wearing, uh, you're wearing camel hair and, and a leather belt, everybody's going to stand away from you a little bit. They're going to look at you and say, huh, you know, I, I did hear this though. I did hear this from Matt Geppert and I, I took it to heart. He said, the crazier a prophet looks, the closer I listen. <laughs> that's an interesting thought isn't it you know and uh, so i'll oh, just leave that to hang around there i don't know what you're gonna do with that but anyway um so so here's the here's the reality so john the baptist has been his life has been prophesied about and and here's the the reason i'm going to give you some uh backstory and then i'm we're going to jump into john's story the backstory is that that john is going to be the one who's announcing jesus like jesus couldn't just show up and and talk about himself he had to have an announcer. He had to have a, 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 a precursor. He had to have a herald. And, and so John is in the role, if you follow this out biblically in the pattern, John is like Samuel who, who anointed David with the horn of oil. John is announcing the messianic king. It's his job. But this is his instruction, and it's a little foggy. Uh, God doesn't give him a lot of clarity. He said, uh, basically, this would be John's instructions from the Father. Okay, John, I'm going to have you go, and your message is going to be a hard message. And you're going to go preach a message of repentance. In other words, wherever you go, you're going to need to tell people they're not living right. They need to live right. And you're going to call them out for their sin. And then when they see the, the righteousness of your cause, they're going to show up at the waters of baptism. And so John would every day wake up 
And his whole job was to go out, and I just imagine this, I don't know, it doesn't say, but, but you can't be wearing camel's hair and eating locusts and wild honey and have a soft voice. I, I suggest that you, come to, that you come to God today. No, man. This guy is gravel-throated. This guy is making you feel... He is the worst drill sergeant, Steve, that you've ever... If, if there's ever somebody that could make you feel this big, it's John the Baptist. He spits more than I do. He's like, rah! He's just out there, you know, and he grabs your guts on the inside and yanks them up your mouth and, and makes you look at the inside of your life. And, and you're feeling so terrible by the time he's done. I just need to get rid of the sin. I just need to get down into the waters of bed. How do I get rid of the sin? And so John is saying, come on down, come on down, get right, get right, get right. You got to get baptized. You got to get baptized. You got to get baptized. In other words, literally what John was saying was, you cannot say that you are a baptized child of Abraham because you came through the Red Sea. That's not good enough. You can't just be a child of Abraham by birth. You've got to be a child of Abraham by choice. And so you've got to choose to walk out of your old lifestyle. And we're going we're gonna to have the waters of baptism right here. You're going to have a personal, a personal baptism today. Get cleansed, right? And so in order for you to get cleansed in John's baptism, you had to stand up in front of everybody and come clean. You had to stand up in front of everybody and do what Skip did and tell your story. You got to get up there and you got to say, I, this is the way I was living. This is what I've been doing. These are the, uh, of, of, of all the 620 some commandments that are, you know, laws that are in the Bible. These are the ones I've broken. And, and you were just, you were just bearing it all for everybody to see, right? And so John every day. So that's part of his instruction. Part of his instruction is preach a gospel, preach a message of repentance, do baptism, and John, the whole reason that you're going is so that the anointed one will appear before everybody. You just need to know that. Well, how will I know which one he is? Well, John, he's the one that when you see the dove come down, when you see the dove come down and rest and remain, you're going to know that that is the Messiah. That's how you know. Okay. So every day, John gets up, I don't know what time, probably, probably, oh, dark 30 in the morning, spends time with the Father, goes down, preaches a message, gathers a crowd, goes down to the waters, baptizes, baptizes another one, no dove. Next, gets them down there, confess all of their sins. I mean, this guy, every day, listening to people, sins after sins after sins after sin, constant confession of sin around John. He's hearing, he's hearing what's going on inside of men's souls. He's hearing what they've done wrong. He's hearing all the things that they've done that have violated the commandment of God. And every moment when they come down, when they come down, there's this confession and then he baptizes. Confession and then he baptizes. Until one day. Until one day, he gets to the moment where there's to be a confession of sin. Jesus walks down and John immediately recognizes righteousness on this man. He looks at him and he says, oh, something's different today. You know what? 
I need to be baptized by you. John recognizes the righteousness of Jesus as he's standing there. And we know from other texts, not this one, that Jesus said, no, let it be so now to fulfill all righteousness. Here's the thing I want you to understand, that God never violates his own pattern, his own pattern. And and so John is the active ministry of the day, and Jesus placed himself under the ministry of John. Jesus dovetailed, pardon the pun, Jesus dovetailed himself right under. He submitted himself to the active ministry of the day, who was John the Baptist. Is Jesus, quote unquote, more righteous? Yeah, never sinned, born of a virgin, conceived of the Holy Spirit in his mother's womb. Uh, You know, this is Jesus, and yet Jesus says, John, you're the man of the hour. This is your moment, and I'm going to fulfill all of these prophecies when I place myself under you. This is the heart of Jesus, to submit himself to the active ministry of the day. Now, do you, do you get the picture with me? Here is Jesus that, is never, that has never had a sinful thought that he took hold of, that he's never, has he been tempted in all points as we are, yet was, yet was without sin, that never made a wrong move, never made a wrong decision, never spoke a wrong word. This is Jesus, and when he gets to the waters of baptism, instead of there being a confession of sin, because he has no sin, somebody else has to speak up for him. Somebody else has to speak on his behalf. Somebody else has to do what Jesus cannot do in that, more, in that moment because he has no sin to confess. And yet he's at the waters of baptism. And nobody knows Jesus in that crowd But his father knows him. And so in that moment, you hear this voice from heaven. This is my son. This is my son whom I love. In him, I am well pleased. What was God doing? You see, Jesus positionally is not just the Messiah. Jesus is the second man. He is the last Adam. Right? He's, he's this, he's the, he's the person that God decided to set up as the federal head of a, of another race. Another race who was born not after the flesh, but after the spirit. Um, and so when Jesus is in this moment, he becomes the anointed one. His name, Jesus, means salvation, but Christ pointed to the experience of baptism where he was in that moment. And the Holy Spirit comes upon him, and the Holy Spirit remains. You and I need to get a hold of the understanding of this, that God, as our perfect father, doesn't point out sin. He makes a declaration of relationship. That if we want to be the father the way the father is, that we're not looking for the opportunity to point something out that's wrong. We're looking to affirm relationship. We're looking to affirm relationship. You and I, all of us in the human race, have a series of father wounds. We have father wounds because even if we were raised by, uh, by fine, upstanding parents, they were still imperfect. 
But you and I have the ability, uh, with the help of the Lord, to take on the Father's heart. In your notes, uh, the Father's heart is a heart of love. The Father's heart is a heart of self-sacrifice. The Father's heart is a heart of patience. And the Father's heart is a heart of faithfulness. That God's heart toward you is all of those things. That he's not looking at what you did wrong. Most of the time, we, uh, we keep a long list of things that we feel like we've done wrong. We violate, you know, and, and we go back uh, time and time again, and we try to uh, get ourselves out from under that. We feel like, you know what, I feel like I've got it going on, but I've got these things that I've done wrong. That is human nature, and the devil will constantly take advantage of that. I like the old saying, uh, you know, uh, Jesus, uh, the the devil uh, knows my name, but he calls me by my sin. Jesus knows my sin, but he calls me by my name. Right? He, he, he speaks to us as the Father that loves us. This is, this is who we are. We, Jesus is, is standing in our position in those waters of baptism, and he's speaking love over your life. He's speaking wholeness over your life. He's speaking nothing's missing in your life for you to, to receive my love. There's nothing broken in your life. You're not so broke. That, that you are too far for, from relationship from me. You can't run too far. You can't go too far. God's love is an everlasting love, right? Um, how many of you have uh, statements that you picked up from your dad somewhere along the line? If I went around the room, there's probably a script, right? What, what are some things dad would always say? Some of them you can't repeat in mixed company. <laughs> Pull my finger, right? I mean, you know, you, you, got, you got some statements that dad would always say, right? You know, and, uh, and all of us are a product of those things because here's the thing, moms and dads, kids don't remember what you say, they'll remember what you keep saying. And all of us have those, you know, uh, my dad's watching right now. Hey, dad, happy Father's Day. I haven't called you yet, but you're on my list. And... Uh, <laughs> And so, you know, dad would, uh, uh, when I was a kid, I always wanted to be on uh, the job sites with my dad. He, he laid floors my entire life. And, uh, and so I would go, uh, you know, I'd go to a carpet job with him. And we were loaded up in probably old Ford van and a big roll of carpet up on the dashboard. And I couldn't see him. I was six years old. I, I knew he was over there because the van was moving. So that meant he was driving. And, and so we'd talk through the windshield. But it was like you were in a little cubicle. It was kind of cool when I was six. I thought I was in a cave or something. And, uh, but I was always, you know, as a, a, you know, I always wanted to grab a hold of the tools and use, you know, get the tools and stuff. And Dad would say, now, son, just watch. Just watch what I do. And I'd watch for three seconds. And I'd want to go pick up that double-bladed knife. Because that looked cool. I wanted to get a hold of that, right? He let me pick up a knife when I was 10 years old. And uh, he said, go over there and cut out that... Uh, uh, cut out that vent, you know, it was, we had a piece of shag carpet that we just installed and I went over to cut out the vent, you know, and there's a certain way you're supposed to do that. And I missed it by about three inches. And, uh, and he said, yeah, put the knife down, <laughs> put the knife down. Well, keep, keep watching. <laughs> so, so, uh, watch and learn. I mean, I heard him say that over and over and over again. And can I tell you, that's part of my life today. 
Watch and learn. I will, uh, I will just stare at things until I understand what's going on with it. And then I'll stare at it a little bit longer and see if I can make it better. And I'll stare at it a little. If something's broke, I'm going to figure out what's going on with it. 90% of, of what uh, any mechanic would do is observation. We got, we got to observe. We got to look. We got to, and so I just kept observing uh, engines and all that kind of stuff. And eventually I, I moved up to uh, working on organizations. And so I, I observe organizations and coach people and work with business and stuff like that as well. In addition to what I do and working with people. Uh, but all of that, if you, if you really traced it all back, it always came down to my dad's instruction right? Dad gave me my first set of tools when I went to Bible college. It was a little toolbox about this big that had, uh, and, and it wasn't just like tools. It was like, uh, it wasn't like wrenches. It was like carpet tools. And so I, I had a four foot straight edge and I, I went to Bible. The way I, I bought Holly, uh, Holly's uh, engagement ring was a carpet job. And uh, dad had given me the tools that I needed to go get a wife, you could say. <laughs> And uh, so, so we installed a bunch of carpet and we did, and, and, you know, so I, all the way through, dad was always in my ear, you know, and he'd always say, uh, I remember one time I was working on a, a job at, that uh, some carpet installers had walked off of and I was, wor- I was uh, working for a contractor at the time and uh, the flight of steps that needed to go in and this, these, contra- these carpet guys had left early because uh, it was, I don't know, 4th of July weekend or something and the contractor couldn't get his draw unless those steps were installed. I said, well, you know what? My dad's installed a thousand sets of those things. If I've watched one, I've watched a thousand. And uh, I said, go rent me the tools. This is when I was in high school. Go rent me the tools and I think I can figure it out. And, you know, and I, I can talk real cool, but then I was, in, I was complete panic on the inside, <laughs> complete panic. I'd never done this before. I'm like, dad, dad, get him on the phone. Dad, this is before cell phones, right? Dad, what do I do? Well, son, start with a sharp knife. Okay, Dad, I got it, I got it. Jump to step five. Will you jump to step five? You know, always sharp, sharp knife. Um, I was just up visiting a couple months ago. I, I know I was out of the pulpit and I talked about it after the fact, but Dad and I had this moment where I never really realized where I got this from, but I absolutely got it from him. We were talking about, uh, we were talking about some, kind of, some kind of problem. And, and again, if I start, as soon as I start a conversation with dad and I, I say something's not working here, here, he immediately starts, he runs down the list of diagnostic. Like that's what he'll do. He won't, he won't just want to listen to me. He'll be like, oh, we can fix that. We can fix that. You know? And uh, so he and I had this moment where we looked at each other and we said it at the same time because there's always a solution. And I didn't realize that I got like that. That was like so ingrained in, in his thinking. There's always, a, there's always a, a way to solve this problem. There's always a, And I thought, you know, that I got it somewhere along the line with the, you know, with the, uh, the, the spiritual, uh, in, you know, thing that the Lord had done. Like, okay, that's hope and that's faith working together. But really, there, there's this bent that I already had in the natural that dad knows that there's a solution to this problem. We just need to, we just need to look at it. We need to figure it out. We just need to, we just need to think on it a little bit longer, and we'll get there. We'll get there. And so, um, so I, I want to talk to you for just a second, and then we're going to go have a, a meal. These are some tests of faithfulness that happen. Uh, I don't know any dads that don't feel um, under-equipped or ill-equipped for their job as a dad. I don't feel, I don't know any dad that, that in the quiet moments would say, I feel like I'm failing. I feel like a loner. 
Like I'm the only one that sees this perspective. My wife doesn't see this perspective. My kids certainly don't see this perspective. It just is a lonely place to to be. Uh, I don't know too many dads that don't feel a certain level of guilt that they have to push down as it relates to the outcome that happens with their kids sometimes, whether, well, that conversation didn't go like I wanted it to go, um, or or the results of our uh, kids as they're growing up, uh, because we see our own failures sometimes multiplied into their lives, or our own struggles multiplied into their lives. I know where they got that from. And I ain't just talking about the nose. <laughs> I know where they got that. I know where that attitude, I know where that behavior comes from. And so and inside, sometimes God, you, you know, you don't have to nod your head because I know where you live. You know, uh, you, you know, this is the reality that we, that we deal with, that we know at some level we're responsible to help our kids be successful, but we feel ill-equipped to see that happen to a degree. And, and we know that, that we're going to put the best stuff in there that we can. We're going to do I don't know any dad. I don't know any dad that isn't doing his level best to be the best that he knows how. But at some level, we don't feel like we're playing with all the right parts. And we feel less than. And I want you to know I see you. Because I know what that's like. And the only cure that I have, the only uh, hope that I have, is that God himself exists in the, in the, the relationship of the Father and the Son. That God himself exists in this relationship and that he has found himself, uh, shows himself, reveals himself in the relationship of father and son. And there's nothing more solid, nothing more strong, nothing more powerful, nothing more, uh, more expansive than this relationship between father and son. And so in your life and mine, we will be tested on a few things. Um, Number one, test of faithfulness, learning to be faithful in that which is least. When I was younger, I wanted to do the big thing. You know, uh, big things get gather attention. When 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 we're younger, we we want to do the thing that gets noticed. And uh, when you're really being tested in the little things, God will show you the little thing that you can work on. Because if you're faithful in the little, He'll what make you ruler over much, right? Before Abraham was uh, Abraham was a father of many nations. He was the father of Ishmael, and he was the father of Isaac. And yet it was the Lord who came to him on the day when Sodom and Gomorrah was going to be pushed down and and says to him, shall I hide from Abram what I'm about to do? Surely he will become a great and powerful nation because Abraham will order his children after him in the fear of the Lord. He was going to become a great nation, not because God had elevated him so, but because he looked after the sons and he looked after the daughters. Because he cared for that next generation and maintained that. Learning, secondly, learning to be faithful with natural riches or money. When we're faithful with the, the worldly wealth, God will make us a ruler over things that really matter. Things that really matter. Sometimes we spend so much time focusing on the material that we forget it's just going to pass away. That car you got is going to end up in a junkyard. That house you got, whatever money you put into it this year, you're going to have to put that much and more next year. Stuff is just stuff. 
People are eternal, right? And, and so our time and our energy needs to be focused on those that we can send on into heaven, those that are going to follow our example because our lives are living epistles. We need to think in terms of that legacy. What can we live on? What can, and so I'm always, guys, I'm always looking for clues. I know you are too. How do I do this better? I loved what Chuck Swindoll said a number of years ago. Um, I've, I've shared it time and time again with families um, because usually when there's an issue well, you know, with a parent, they're saying, I can't get my kid to, or my kid always does, and I'm trying to correct that behavior, whatever, whatever. And I'm, I'm afraid to, you're, you're afraid to crank down too much and you're afraid to let go too much and you just don't really know what's the proper tension. And I love what Chuck Swindoll says. He said, I say yes to my kids as often as I can so that when I say no, it means something. And I found seasons in my life where I was better at that than others. Sometimes when I'm seeing certain behavior, it, I was the no dad. Nope. Nope, 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 stop. What are you doing? Because you're, you don't want that to get out of control. You don't want that. That's not sustainable behavior. Well, you know, that, that's going to get somebody into trouble. That's going to be a problem. And, and so if I'm the no dad all the time, you know, then what do the, the kids do? The kids stop. They, you know, they'll, 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 they'll be obedient, if, you know, certain behaviors. They'll be obedient while you're around. But when you're not, woohoo, free for all. Dad's away. We can do whatever we want. Right? The warden's gone. But what happens if you're the yes to encouragement? Yes to affirmation? What if you find all the things that are in there that you can speak into and say, that's me, that's yes, that's a yes. This is my son whom I love. This is my daughter whom I love. And you speak affirmation over and over and over. And oh, by the way, you just got that speeding ticket. Slow down, will you? And then, yes, 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 yes. You know, they're, they're, they're away. Don't make everything nuclear with your kids. Because if everything's nuclear, are you, you know what I'm talking about? Don't, don't make everything doomsday. Why don't you ever make your bed? Can I tell you a lot of grown-ups don't make their bed? <laughs> Altar call right now. All you, all you not bed, bed makers come to, you know, I mean, here's the deal, right? You know, we're not raising good kids. We're raising good human beings. And human beings are by nature flawed. And so if you're trying to live vicariously through your child to be some version of you that will never, ever, ever be perfect, but you're trying to make them perfect. Don't cause a rift in that relationship. Build bridges in that relationship, right? Find the things that they love to do and, and then spend a lot of time doing the things together that you can do. Build those good memories. Build those relationships. Why? You're faithful in the little things. You're faithful with natural riches and learning to be faithful with that which belongs to another person. It is so helpful if you recognize that, that your child is actually God's kid. And you're simply a steward. You don't own them. You're simply a steward of their life. There, there came a time, I learned this much later in life, and, and, and for your moms and, and moms and dads and 
in kids that are coming along. And I'm going to say this because the moms need to hear me say this um, because it sounds kind of harsh. But there's going to come a time when the kids are going to start stepping on mom. The kids are going to start talking back to mom. And dad, you can't let it happen. But let me tell you how you go about it. There's a, it, it works particularly well for boys, but it's also important for girls. When it begins to happen, you need to, you need to have a sit down with them and you just need to look them in the eye and you need to say, this woman is no longer your mother. This woman is my wife. And I wouldn't allow anybody to talk to my wife the way you're talking to this woman. So today it stops. And today, anytime you want to address her, it better be in the same way that you would address me. It comes back through me. Because she's my wife, she's not your mother. Don't do it harshly, just do it firmly. And then smile, say I love you. But there's a certain way that this house is gonna run and you stepping on your mom and talking abusively to your mom is not in it. It's not happening. You know what? And mom, you got to let it happen. That's going to be hard for you. You should be like, oh, it's my little boy. No, because if he keeps doing that kind of stuff, he'll end up in jail. You want to visit him in jail? No. So, that, so, so this is a little bit of discipline so that you don't have to visit him in penitentiary. Just let dad begin to set the house in order. And that's the way to do it, right? That's the way to do it. Because there's a way that we talk and there's a way that we don't talk, right? Faithful with another man's, faithful with it. What, what are you doing? Guys, you're helping the son learn how to treat a wife someday. You're helping that happen. You're helping that go into the second generation. 